Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Blackwood Show. The Black, the Black, the Black, Black. Welcome to the Blackwood Show. I'm Taylor Blackwood and this is my show. Today we're going to do a fun episode on finance. We're going to talk about inflation in the United States, especially as the coronavirus has affected it and all the wild drivers behind it. Um, I think there's big bouts of inflation on the rise. I think it's not currently accounted for all the way. I think there's lots of interesting ways that you can position yourself if you believe, like I do, that inflation is on the rise and is something that we're going to have to deal with because of all this crazy stimulus that we've done, all these checks we've done in unemployment, uh, all these different factors driving it, low interest rates, uh, crazy deficits from the government, and a consumer that's kind of shifting their behavior and, and screwing with the CPI, messing with the consumer price index. Right now, they say the official rate for inflation in the United States is 1% for the year ended in July. And I ain't buying it. I ain't buying it. I think it's uh, I think that's totally wrong. I think it's got to be higher. It just doesn't feel like that's the inflation rate that's going on. I think the CPI is a little bit skewed and I'm going to get into all of that. And then I'm going to summarize my thoughts on inflation with how you might position yourself if you believe it's coming too. I can't give investment advice. Not allowed to do that. So this is for entertainment purposes only, but I am going to tell you, uh, you know, kind of generically how I'm positioning myself and how you might position yourself if you believe like me that inflation is coming. Let's jump into it. Let's start out with what inflation is. Sorry for those of you who are already educated on this, maybe have an economics degree like me. It might be a little pedantic, but anyways, uh, let's get into it. And, and I got a shout out Investopedia, great resource. I like to use it for framing my thoughts. It's kind of like the Wikipedia of investing. And I like to check it out for things like this. So I, I'm going to be stealing a lot of content from their page on inflation, which I really encourage you guys to use their site and to check it out. So anyways, inflation is a quantitative measure of the rate at which the average price level of a basket of selected goods and services in an economy increases over some period of time. It is the rise in the general level of prices where a unit of currency effectively buys less than it did in prior periods. So to illustrate this again, it might be a little pedantic, but you know, let's say you have $1 today and let's say the cost of bananas is $1, right? So your $1 gets you one banana, but in the future, if the price of bananas goes up, then your $1 doesn't get you as many bananas. And inflation is the reason for that. You got the same good or item and you can't buy as much of it with the same money you used to be able to do, which is why you see wages increase over time. It's why you see like house prices go up is partially because of appreciation of that asset itself, but also partially because the prices of everything is going up. And that's what inflation is. So inflation eats into the purchasing power of your cash. That's a really important thing to drive home. And for framing this, if you believe there's inflation coming, the last thing you want to do is hold cash. You know, if your thousand dollars is going to be able to purchase less in the future than it does today, then you got to be, you got to be careful about that. You got to make sure that you're protected against that inflation. You got to make sure that uh, you're making wise investments and making sure that your investments outpace inflation or else you've eaten into your purchasing power. I want to make sure that in the future, if you're going to bother investing, you can purchase more things, not less. Otherwise, you might as well purchase those things today and enjoy. So that's the whole premise of uh, inflation and why it's important to monitor. You know, you need to make sure you understand what inflation is. Because in like an extreme example, say, you know, inflation historically for reference, it, they aim for 2% or so. Uh, inflation would be ideal because you want some inflation. I'll go over a little bit why it's good. But, you know, you aim for 2%. But let's say inflation's way high. It's like 5%, let's say for a second. 
then that's really eating into the purchasing power of your uh, goods in the future. And what you need to do is have investments that outpace that 5%. So if you invest in stocks and they merely give you a 5% return, well, all you've done is match inflation. All you've done is make sure that you can purchase the same amount of stuff in the future. And you took risk to get there. You know, the stocks could have gone down, it could have gone against you and you would have been uh, in trouble. <laughs> I'm trying to make sure this is family friendly. So I'm catching myself there. But anyways, uh, <laughs> so, so you gotta be careful and make sure that your investments are risk adjusted for inflation too, that you're outpacing inflation reasonably. So for the risk, don't look at nominal or like total returns on things. Look at things return adjusted for inflation. So inflation is the rate at which the general level of prices for goods and services is rising and consequently, consequently, the purchasing power of currency is falling. So we kind of detailed that and, and you understand that concept now. Hopefully it's kind of driven home. That's the core basis of inflation. And you got to understand that for the rest of this podcast who makes sense. Ideally, an optimum level of inflation is required to promote spending to a certain extent instead of saving, thereby nurturing economic growth. So this is what I was talking about. You know, if you're worried about the value of your money, you know, your cash losing value over time, you not be able to purchase as much with it, then you're going to invest it. You're encouraged to invest that. And that has all sorts of good growth. It's going to employ people. There's going to be more goods and services. More people are going to have money to spend. And the virtuous cycle that is the economy continues, right? So you want a little bit of inflation, but you don't want too much. You want a controlled and expected amount of inflation and ideally around 2%. That's what we aim for. If you get that 2% and everyone can rely on it, then you can make lots of investing decisions soundly around it. But if there's unexpected higher inflation, then you might position your assets differently than you would if they were achieving that 2%. And same thing goes for if there's lower than expected inflation or the dreaded deflation, which we don't like. So the way that we measure this is with the CPI and the PPI in the United States. Today, I'm going to focus on the CPI as the Consumer Price Index. And basically what that is, is it's a basket of goods uh, that, that kind of say, okay, we're going to track the prices of these things over time, see how they change, see how they go up or down. And that's going to help us to measure the deficit. So I pulled up, you know, uh, where you would go to look this up is the consumer price index is kept by the U S Bureau of labor, labor statistics. So you can Google that. And when I find it, you know, their official rate, like I mentioned at the start of the podcast is 1%. I'm just not buying that. It feels like all sorts of things have gotten more expensive. Uh, and it could be my little slice of the world has gotten more expensive, especially since I recently bought a house. So like furniture has gone through the roof. My friend who runs like a RV rental business said business is booming. It's never been better. You know, there's all these people with these unemployment checks in their pocket. There's all these people who are kind of flush with money and stimulus flowing around the world, flowing into consumers' pockets. And they're trying to spend some of that, you know? So you see uh, TVs flying off the racks at Costco, you know, Walmart's killing it right now. Their same store sales growth grew. I saw in the Wall Street Journal today despite the pandemic. So you're seeing that people are feeling a little flush despite the pandemic. And that's because I think the negative drag of the pandemic has been sufficiently or even overshot by, uh, or sufficiently outweighed or even overshot by the stimulus that we did. We did a crazy amount of stimulus, again, in the form of PPP loans, in the form of these unemployment benefit insurances, all sorts of other assistance that I won't list off this podcast. But those things all do promote inflation. And that's why I think there's a massive amount of inflation coming. I saw this and mentioned it on a podcast about a month ago, but I saw it early in the pandemic when they started doing all these stimulus. I said, boy, those are huge packages, you know, $3 trillion can barely comprehend how big that is. Now they're talking about doing another one and all those things promote inflation. So I started to position myself for inflation. I made sure that even though there's all this uncertainty in the market and all this, all these scary things going on with the coronavirus and, you know, businesses might go bankrupt and blah, blah, blah. 
I kept in assets. I actually increased my exposure to stocks. Uh, I bought a bigger house and a nicer house and got a mortgage on that. And uh, for, for those things, I thought they were reasonable risks to take because I really was a strong believer that inflation is coming. And I, and I still do believe that to be the case. I'm positioning myself accordingly. So anyways, when I pulled up the data, it shows 1% and I just don't buy it. Here's why. Food went up 4.1%. That's crazy. So, I mean, everyone has to buy food, right? So that's one of the the best measures in this consumer price index of what drives inflation. So everyone has to buy food and food's going, uh, is going up in price. You know, it's getting more expensive for, I can't say exactly why this is maybe supply, uh, supply chain constrictions, maybe when these factories shut down, you know, especially like when I hear about meat packing plants, having an outbreak of COVID cases and being required to shut down that really constrains like pork for a while. I remember and certain things like this, but nonetheless, the fact is that food went up 4.1%. That's worth really keeping an eye on because that affects every single consumer. Every consumer has to eat. Restaurants have to purchase all that food at higher prices. So we're seeing that food is driving inflation for sure. Uh, All items, less food and energy went up 1.6%. Okay. So that includes like, you know, uh, everything else is in the basket besides food and energy. But here's the reason I don't think the 1% is accurate. Energy is a component of the CPI, right? So like your gas, for example, is a part of it because consumers have to buy gas. Businesses have to buy gas. That drives a lot of prices. So that's something they measure in the CPI. It's down 11.2%, negative 11.2%. Gas got cheap. We saw that. I mean, barrels of oil were actually negative for a while. There's a little bit of a market aberration, but that's worth paying attention to. You know, that uh, energy got really, really cheap. And that is factored into this official 1% inflation number that, like I say, I think is being drugged down. I don't think 1% is accurate. I think inflation is higher. That's my sense in my business, you know, that our customers are feeling pretty flush. They have more money to spend. Um, I think that uh, the unemployment checks helped with that a lot. You know, that put money in a lot of people's pockets who otherwise would have been very scared, would have been uh, really driving negative consumer uh, sentiment worse than it already is if they didn't have those stimulus check. And instead, they got to feel a little bit bullish. And they went out and spent some money. They went and bought some new furniture. They bought that TV. They bought... I don't know, all sorts of stuff you see online, you can research, but they bought the RVs, they went on some trips, they did these types of things. Um, but but what, you don't see those things in the official numbers, right? That's more of like a sense I have. It's talking to my friends, it's talking to a friend who owns a manufacturing business, he's never been busier. It's talking to a bunch of uh, people, you know, one of my friends sells cars, he says that they're flying off the lot, right? So people are buying cars during all this and there's some unlikely spending given the what should be gloomy economic outlook, that things are better than some of the data would point to. But inflation must be driving some of that. The people have more purchasing power. They're demanding more goods and services. And eventually prices are going to catch up to that, I really think, especially in this official measure, especially if energy were to right size. If energy right size are even increased and help drive this official number, I think you'd see that the official inflation number is a lot higher. So I'm not really buying it. I think that inflation is ghost a little bit higher than the uh, CPI indicates. And the CPI is kind of something that does get criticized. Some people say that they play with the weightings of these different goods in the CPI basket. You can Google that if you're interested in a little bit of a technical read, but you know, basically that in order to show that they're doing a a quote unquote good job, that they're managing inflation where they meant to, they might manipulate how the CPI is calculated a little bit. That's a little bit conspiracy theory, but it also probably has some truth to it. And in this case, I don't, I, I think it's less so that someone's manipulating it on purpose and more so just that it doesn't give an accurate picture. 
that the CPI isn't really representative of the inflation that actually exists in the economy. And, and I'm just not buying it. I'm going to call BS on that statistic. And I'm going to say, I think there's more inflation than that suggests. And certainly if there isn't today, then it's coming. Uh, and I think that for a bunch of reasons. So let's continue. I'll get into some of those reasons. Uh, there's three things that drive inflation. Uh, demand pull inflation occurs when the overall demand for goods and services in an economy increases more rapidly than the economy's production capacity. It creates a demand supply gap with higher demand and lower supply, which results in higher prices. I'm seeing this with furniture. You know, that lots of people, I think, got stuck in their houses during coronavirus. They started looking around. They're like, I hate that couch. Oh, my goodness, this rug is terrible. You know, what's up with our AV system? I want to watch Netflix, and this is just not going to cut it. So they went out and bought a bunch of that stuff for their house, right? And you start to see that, you know, there were empty shelves in uh, Walmart or whatever. You know, people just bought out all the TVs. And uh, certainly furniture is taking forever. I still don't have, like, really any of my furniture from my order from my house. I'm kind of in an empty house. Uh, my interior designers let me borrow a couch and I got my mattress up on a, a frame. Basically that's like it, right? So, and the TV mounted to the wall. So there's, there's not a lot going on my couch or my house. And, and basically I think that the, the furniture supply has really tightened up. There's a huge demand for it. Apparently prices have been strong. It's been hard to negotiate for furniture because of that. Uh, you can't really negotiate lower rates. And I think that you're starting to see some items are getting more and more scarce. Well, those types of things drive inflation that if there's more demand, if consumers are feeling flush, you know, in, in those examples I just gave in a specific category, they're feeling more flush, but they feel more flush overall then prices start to rise just to reflect the fact that there's not enough supply until, you know, kind of that basic uh, demand supply curve that you learn in economics. But basically that's one of the reasons that inflation gets driven higher is that people are feeling flush. They want more uh, items and they, and they bid up the demand of those. Another way that inflation can increase is the cost push inflation. It's a result of the increase in the prices of production process inputs. Okay. So this is more so talking about, uh, uh, the inputs to production rising in price. So an example, of this would, would be like an increase in labor costs to manufacture a good or service, uh, or like in a good, it'd be like the raw material raising in price. Like if you make paper and, the, and paper pulp goes up in price, then, you know, that would drive your price higher on your product. And therefore the price of goods goes up and inflation rises. Uh, same type of thing can happen if people are making more money. You know, people are an instrumental part of even manufacturing businesses, certainly in service businesses like ours. It's the single biggest expense on our P&L. So our wage cost is huge for us, and it definitely informs what we charge for our service. You know, what we charge customers for testosterone replacement therapy at Ageless Men's Health, in my example. It's my business for those of you who are just tuning into the podcast for the first time. We do testosterone replacement therapy for men. So anyways, uh, you know, that factors into the price of therapy. What we charge is how much do we have to pay uh, or how much do we pay our clinicians, right? What's the fair uh, wage for them? And, and we're affected by that market. So if wages increase, then the price of your goods are going to increase. And what do you know? Inflation is going to increase, right? So cost push inflation is another example. Right now, I think we're seeing a little bit of demand pull, you know, where people are wanting more goods and services, especially in some of those categories I've mentioned. And I think cost push hasn't come into effect as much lately, but I'll, I'll expand on that in a moment. Built-in inflation is the third cause that links to adaptive expectations. As the price of goods and services rises, labor expects and demands more costs and wages to maintain their cost of living. Their increased wages result in higher cost of goods and services, and this wage price spiral continues as one factor induces the other and vice versa. So the best way to look at that is that basically as people perceive there being increased prices of things, you know, if they perceive that there's a 2% increase in inflation, they, they think that, that, that their cost of living has risen and therefore what they get paid 
wage should rise as well. And rightfully so. This is a good and healthy thing for the economy, as we outlined earlier. You know, that if uh, uh, you want a healthy amount of inflation because it, it encourages investment, encourages economic activity. So you do want this, right? And you want it in a healthy amount. So as people perceive that things are getting more expect or more expensive, then they want more money for their work. And then things do get more expensive for the reasons I just outlined. So it's kind of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. So those are the three things that drive inflation. Again, it's demand pull inflation. Uh, an example of this is that people want more TVs to improve their TV since they're stuck at home watching Netflix during coronavirus or whatever. Cost push inflation is when the prices of production increase, right? So it's, uh, a constraint on uh, delivery. Like, you know, like right now it's harder for you to deliver goods and services because you have to do social distancing, have to make sure your people are safe. You know, if a driver goes down, then it, it gets more expensive. Another great example of this though, is in the lower wage things that do drive inflation like crazy, right? So people who work in grocery stores, uh, people who work in restaurants and food industry and stuff like this, when they're at home getting unemployment benefits that are as much or bigger than they used to earn working, then that drives the price way high, right? In order to get workers in a restaurant when there's unemployment benefits for not being in the restaurant that rival being there. I mean, that's a little bit more nuanced than that because like if you offer a person a job and they don't take it, then they don't get the unemployment benefits anymore. But nonetheless, you know, that all things being equal, that could drive up the floor of wages. Why would someone want to return to work for you as long as they're getting those unemployment benefits? And it almost is like a de facto minimum wage increase kind of fascinating, but the effects of that could really reverberate into the prices of things. You know, that it's going to be more expensive to go to a fast food restaurant because they're competing against unemployment to get workers, you know, to come back. And if unemployment pays more then there's a huge disincentive until they raise their wages accordingly. So I think you could see wages increase in low paid, uh, lower paid jobs, especially hourly positions, just to incentivize people back to work. I think too, there's some hazard pay going around, you know, in places like Walmart and grocery stores kind of did some of this that raised the amount of money that those people got. All those things mess with the labor market in a positive way for workers. I think it's a net good, but it's just a fact of it is that it does raise wages, especially for lower paid people. So that's something to keep an eye on as well, is that as that starts to get factored in to the P and L's of these businesses, as they start to look and say, boy, our profits are tighter this quarter because we had to raise wages to do the hazard pay at Amazon or whatever. They're going to start to charge more in their prices and everyone's going to do that. And then you're going to see inflation increase because of that as well. And then the built-in inflation piece that, you know, inflation kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that is that people think that things are getting more expensive. If they look around and housing prices have exploded like they have, then people start to demand more money to work because they need to buy these more expensive things, right? And it kind of becomes a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. It becomes like what they call it, a wage uh, price spiral. It's kind of a fascinating, I think that's an official term, but it's basically that one thing builds on the other and it just keeps, continues to both continue to increase. The prices increase to accommodate these higher wages and the wages increase because people want to meet those higher prices and on and onward it goes. Um, typically inflation gets controlled in several different ways, but a major one would be your interest rates, right? And I think this is what's kind of scary is that I think there is ghost inflation. And I think once it gets recognized, the government's not gonna have as many tools to counter it. Here's what I mean. Normally, you know, if you wanted to counter inflation, one thing you could do is raise interest rates. The mechanism for that is that with higher interest rates, you're less incentivized to borrow and therefore invest in the economy. So there's less economic activity, all things being equal. You know, if there's higher interest rates, you're less likely to borrow as like a consumer. You're less likely to go get a bigger mortgage because you can't afford the monthly payments or because it's too much debt. 
Whereas if interest rates are low, the, the identical priced house becomes cheaper for you to buy effectively because you're paying less in interest each month if you took out debt on it. Same is true for all sorts of debt. You know, credit card debt kind of tends to respond to that base interest rate and things like this. So when the base interest rate is low, everything else is low as well. And it encourages economic activity. Well, Right now, interest rates are slammed. So one thing that you could do to counter runaway inflation would be to raise those interest rates. But, and it's a major but, we have a record deficit in the United States. It is crazy what our deficit has exploded to during this. And who else pays interest? The government. <laughs> that if, uh, if you're financing a huge deficit, then you're paying interest on that. Well, if interest rates are low, then you're loving it. You know, you can, you can take on more debt. You can have a bigger deficit. You can do your pet project if you're a politician with less consequence X, Y, Z. And it's a scary fact. I mean, there's some people who are arguing that we're in a really dark place in terms of our uh, government's fiscal policy because of these debt loads and because of these deficits. And also because interest rates are low, it's almost like heroin for them, right? That if interest rates are low, they can take out more debt and they just keep doing it. But the problem is you can't raise interest rates because then all of a sudden the government would have to figure out how to pay those higher interest rates. And the only way that it gets its revenue, what do you know? Through taxing you. So you're going to have Uncle Sam deep in your pockets if, uh, if that unfortunate series of events unfolds, right? So that's something to really keep an eye on too is that if inflation starts to rise, we've kind of lost our toolkit for dealing with it. And we're constrained because the government would not want to see those interest rates rise. And although they're supposed to be decoupled, you know, they're not like, you know, the federal government or, or Congress isn't supposed to have authority over these things. It is kind of becoming a more political position, especially with like the Fed chair, you know, the Trump's attacking him or praising him publicly, right? That kind of becomes influenced by politics, um, which have a whole array of conflicting interests. Um, anyways, it's a very complicated situation. Maybe I'll unpack it more in future podcasts. Podcast, but suffice it to say that normally when there's runaway interest, one thing the government would do is increase the interest rate to counter that. And I don't think they will in this environment. Like I said, that would just be shooting themselves in the foot. You know, they're going to see uh, taxes go through the roof and therefore economic activity is going to get all screwy. So it's going to be really hard to manage inflation in the future. You're going to need other tools in your kit. Uh, people are starting to kind of wake up to the fact that uh, the deficits are a big problem. I pulled some Pew Research Center uh, survey data in preparation for this. Um, so in a, a poll that was conducted in June 16th to 22nd, just under half of U.S. adults called the deficit a very big problem. So people are starting to wake up to it. It's not top of mind for everyone. Um, in 2018, they actually thought it was a bigger problem, which is ironic because over that same time. So, okay. The two numbers there, 47% called the deficit a very big problem in the country today, but in 2018, 55%. So 8% more called it a big problem. The fall of 2018 over roughly that same period, the deficit grew from 779 billion in 2018 to 2.8 trillion at the end of July, 2.8 trillion with a T ladies and gentlemen, that is nuts. What I mean, that is just, what is that? Three and a half times as big in two years. I mean, the deficit spending that we have done this year is insane. You know, we haven't taken in as much revenue because we've delayed tax filings. And obviously the stimulus, like I mentioned, is just gigantic, right? And you're seeing less economic activity. I mean, we did see a big, supposedly a V-shaped recovery, but we did see that the bottom of the V 
not as much economic activity going on, not as much sales tax being collected, you know, all these different spiral effects. And it's a scary time, less revenue coming in, unprecedented amount of money being spent, which is inflationary. And now we're kind of at a place where we can't counter runaway inflation with interest rates because of these deficits. I mean, how are we ever going to unwind this? It would take massive austerity. So many different government programs would have to be slashed. So many sacrifices would have to be made. And there's so many uh, golden gooses and pet projects that would have to get hurt in that process that it's just going to be really hard. It's just not going to be very politically feasible for it to happen is what I should say. The deficit year to date is $2.8 trillion with a T. That is nuts. Um, And I think it really does drive this inevitability. I really do feel strongly that inflation is coming again. I give investment advice, but I do feel like that's the environment that we're in and that's what we're going to see coming. So then the question becomes, how do you position if you think inflation is coming? Uh, Because like I mentioned earlier in this uh, podcast, inflation promotes investment. So what do you do? You know, the the last thing, well, let's start with what you shouldn't do. You should not just hold cash. If you believe, like I believe that inflation is coming or that it's already here and not being fully recognized, then the last thing you want to do is sit on cash and watch that purchasing power erode. You're not going to be able to buy as many bananas. So, you know, maybe I'm thinking of bananas so much because my girlfriend's making some bomb banana bread right now. I can smell it through the door. Oh man, I can't wait to house some of that right after this podcast. But anyway, so maybe that's why I'm using that example instead of oranges or something like this. (laughs) But you're not gonna be able to buy as many bananas. So don't sit on cash because you want bananas, right? And uh, it's gonna erode your purchasing power. So the worst thing you can do is sit on cash. That's a little counterintuitive for some people because a lot of people are scared right now. They think that investments are overvalued, which they may be. Probably because of some of these reasons, some of the smart money knows that inflation is coming and they're positioning accordingly. But nonetheless, let's say that investments are a little bit uh, overvalued, particularly people say that about stocks, especially since bonds don't offer much return with the interest rates being so low, like I mentioned. So, you know, if if there's not a lot of good investment opportunities uh, right now, people are going, oh, well, it's too scary. The stock market go down. I'm going to sit on uh, sit on cash. Well, sitting on cash has a negative uh, real investment return, like I mentioned, and it's equivalent to the inflation rate. So if inflation grows too much, you're going to be losing more than maybe, you know, stocks might be able to decline 5%. And if inflation 6%, you're still better off being in the stocks, right? So it's, it is not advantageous to be in cash if you believe that inflation is coming. Now, stocks aren't your only option. There are more conservative options to, to take if you believe inflation is coming. I mean, traditionally, it would be like commodities it would be a huge one. Gold might be one. I'm personally not a big believer in gold. Uh, that might be I might learn to eat those words right now. Gold has been on kind of a tear this year, but... <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know that it's going to, I acknowledge that it's always kind of been the reserve currency and a hedge against inflation. And the, and for these reasons, it's been a valuable asset class, you know, for the last century and beyond. Uh, and like right now I just saw uh, that Warren Buffett is investing in gold. I saw that article last week that he's really building a huge uh, position in gold and he's a brilliant investor. So maybe I'm totally wrong. Right. But I kind of think that gold is becoming a thing of the past, you know, it's kind of uh, an older generation solution to inflation and things like this. Uh, it's, it's traditionally a store of value. And if people continue to believe it's that, then it's a really cool one because obviously gold has inherent value as well, right? People need it for jewelry and such. But nonetheless, it's a, uh, I don't know if that's necessarily where I'm going to invest. I don't totally understand it from the perspective of why it would continue to be a great hedge against inflation. Um, 
but Hey, maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe it's a great place to be. So it's not where I would go. I'd probably go commodities instead and, and find some baskets like that. Uh, but for me personally, I, I'm, I still think stocks are a decent hedge against inflation. It's not perfect, but you definitely do not want to be in cash. Like stocks would be better than that. So I'm in stocks pretty heavy and I like hard assets. So I, I like a, a, like a house, you know, and I mentioned early on this podcast and on previous podcasts, I, I upgraded my house during the coronavirus because I had the belief that inflation is coming. I still believe that as I've said, probably sound like a broken record right now, but yes, inflation is coming. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, yeah, so I bought a house and I think that's a great way to hedge against inflation. You know that home values do do really well if inflation is, is sitting underneath the appreciation of the house and driving it up further. So now is not a bad time to buy a house, in my opinion, especially when you combine the potential for higher inflation with uh, basement low interest rates, that you can get uh, more house for the same monthly payment because interest rates are so low and your interest is going to be uh, um, not as big of a burden on that payment. And the one big benefit of that too, is that you lock in that rate going forward. That's a big deal. So uh, I definitely, I think buying a house is a great investment. I'm biased in that because I just did it. I upgraded my house and I think uh, it's a wise way to counter inflation if you believe it's coming. So, but the main thing is get into hard assets, look hard at commodities, look at gold. You know, that's kind of a traditional advice. Look at a house. You don't have to necessarily buy a house like a single family for you to live in like a primary residence like I did. You know, if that's not a good option for you right now, you could also invest in REITs, real estate investment trusts. And I might talk about those on future podcasts, but that's another great asset class to look into if you believe inflation is coming. You know, it's, it's, uh, an investment trust that specializes in, in real estate, like it mentioned. So they might own like a collection of houses on your behalf and you can buy a smaller portion, kind of similar to like an ETF. So that's a good thing to look at. And I've made some money on REITs over the years as well, but that's a good, uh, traditionally that's a good hedge against inflation in your portfolio too. Mostly just don't be in cash. You know, if you need to be in something super conservative, there's something called, uh, uh, tips. Well, I should, I should have looked that up, but, um, it's a treasury that's an inflation protected security. I think something like that. I should probably, let me check it out real quick for you guys. I'll just pull up Google if you'll be patient with me, but basically it's a, tr a T bill that's, um, oh yeah, treasury inflation protected securities, right? So this is a T bill that's basically pegged uh, to increase with inflation as well. So the principal value of tips rises as inflation rises while the interest payment varies with the adjusted principal value of the bond, right? So so you're going to get basically the safety of a T-bill, but also protected against inflation. So that's a good place. That's kind of like a cash equivalent where you can get a, a very small return, but it'll help protect you from inflation at least, whereas cash will not. So I like tips instead of being in literal cash as well. Uh, again, can't give you investment advice, but that's if you believe like me that inflation is coming. That's kind of some good rules of thumb, how you might want to uh, position your portfolio. I'd love to hear from you guys. I'd love to hear if you think that inflation is coming. I'd love to hear what you might do or if you have better ideas than me for how to position yourself in that. And I'd love to answer any other questions you have on this topic. This is definitely something I want to unpack more in the future. I'm going to be monitoring this and doing follow-up episodes, kind of like I owe you guys one on the TikTok situation. I'm definitely going to do some follow-up episodes on inflation and how it tracks throughout the rest of this virus and beyond, because I really do think we're going to see it on the rise. And hopefully I'll get to point back to this and say, I'm a sage. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, uh, an economic reader, <laughs> psychic baby. No, not really. But anyways, I think that, um, hopefully I'll get to look back at this and, and celebrate it, but who knows? These are such wild times. Literally anything can happen, right? I mean, nothing would surprise me after the start of 2020. So it'll be fascinating to see which direction this goes, but I'll definitely do follow-up episodes, let you know whether I was right, whether I was wrong. 
And if you guys have any listener questions in the meantime, I'd love to answer them either directly, but probably talk about them on the podcast. You can email me at the Blackwood show at gmail.com. That's the Blackwood show at gmail.com. And I really appreciate all the support. Thanks for listening. I know there's lots of great ways to in, entertain yourself, not the least of which are a bunch of great podcasts. So thank you for listening to little old me. I'll talk at you soon.